Imagine you're the Apostle Peter. You've experienced a phenomenal amount in a short period of time. You've seen your Lord, your Saviour, die, crucified, buried, and then raised to life. So the line between what's possible and impossible has been shattered. You've then seen the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, fill your entire being. You've then preached your first sermon and 3,000 came to faith. You've then prayed for a lame guy who's been lame since birth. They've experienced healing. A crowd gathers because there's a commotion. You preach again, 5,000 come to faith. I mean, Peter must have been walking the streets of Jerusalem. You're the God of the impossible. You know, just high levels of faith coursing through his veins but mixed with high levels of faith or high levels of humility. It's only been a matter of weeks since Peter has totally screwed up, betrayed his best friend, denied Jesus, actually called down curses on Jesus. Like that was an absolute low point in Peter's life. So that's probably still in the short term memory bank. So there's a deep humility if Peter knows his fragility, like his vulnerability, and yet he's experienced the power of God break in to his life he's experienced restoration with Jesus and now he's seeing the kingdom of God break out so you've got this beautiful mix of humility and high levels of faith like could that be stirring right now we in the church in the UK we have been humbled by little bacteria by a microbe we have been humbled and yet at the same time high levels of faith are beginning to stir like what if we had this cocktail of high levels of humility high levels of faith maybe we could be involved in something extraordinary just as Peter was that is the message of Pentecost it's an invite be filled with the spirit and be involved in the ministry like the early apostles were so we're going to look at the story of Pentecost. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Acts chapter 2. Let me just provide a little bit of a, a framing for this passage. Um, this is an overview of a theme you see again and again in the Old Testament, that when God makes his dwelling place with humanity, expect fire and expect fireworks. So you've got this one passage, Exodus chapter 40, where the people build a tent because they want God to dwell amongst them as they journey from Egypt to the promised land and journey through the wilderness. Now check that out. This is how much God loves being close to his people. He's willing to go on a camping trip that lasts 40 years. Now we sometimes go on camping trips as a church to wildfires or our leaders weekend away. You know, people begin to say, oh, two days max. I'm not camping for more than two days. Oh, don't have it in me. Don't have it in me. Well, God says, I will willingly camp with you in a tent for 40 years. That's how much I want to be with my people. And when God enters into this dwelling place of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, he descends by fire in Exodus chapter 40 and his glory, like his presence, his goodness fills the tent. So that happens, Exodus 40. Fast forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The king at the time, King Solomon, builds an actual temple, not a tent, like a stunning building in the center of Jerusalem because they want God to dwell amongst them as they settle in the land. Um, and what does God do? He says, fine, let's, let's do this. And his glory fills the temple when it's been fully constructed and is dedicated to the Lord. And God descends by 
fire. So whenever God dwells amongst his people, you can expect fire and you can expect some fireworks. Now, at this first Pentecost, people are gathered together. It says they're in an upper room. There's around 120 of them. Now, people often think that means they're in someone's home. Um, It's highly unlikely that they're in someone's home, partly because very few homes at that time could fit 120 people in a a room. Um, Secondly, it says outside the room, there were 3,000 people gathered. Now, that's a very big back garden, right? So it's unlikely to be someone's home. It's far more likely to be an upper room in the temple courts. Like the people are gathering at Pentecost, which is what they always did. This is a massive Jewish festival um, as they remember that God met with them in the desert at Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments, the law. The law is a pathway to human flourishing. And how did God descend at Mount Sinai? He descended by fire, like Exodus 40, like 2 Chronicles 7. So they're celebrating festival. All the Jewish community from wherever they were scattered around the world gathered together in Jerusalem and they gathered at the temple. So these disciples, around 120 of them, they gathered in the temple. They're celebrating Pentecost and something unbelievable is about to take place. And yes, it involves fire. Um, So let's read from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Just imagine this. What incredible scenes. So imagine you're one of the 120 and fires falling from heaven. And you know the backstory. You know the story of Mount Sinai, God descending by fire. You know Exodus 40, the tent being filled with fire. You know 2 Chronicles 7, the temple being filled with fire. And you're gathering at Pentecost, which is a celebration of what took place on Mount Sinai. It's a celebration of fire falling and then you begin to see fire break out all around you you'd be like what oh my goodness what would have been rushing through your mind I mean, I honestly have no idea. Maybe they were thinking, is God making his dwelling place in the Jerusalem temple once more? But as they look closely, it's not the temple that's on fire. They're on fire. It's not the temple that's being filled with the glory of God. They are being filled with the glory of God. This is a seismic, you know, a paradigm shift that's taking place in the Old Testament. It was about sacred space. There was one tent. There was one temple. There was one dwelling place of God. But now something's taking place where it's not about a sacred space so much as it is about sacred people. There's 120 mini living temples and then Peter addresses the crowd because people are thinking what on earth is going on fire is falling and Peter preaches and 3,000 come to faith that's now 3,120 mini temples see what I did with the math thanks so much Um, and then the next day Peter heals a lame guy that's been lame from birth 5,000 come to faith that's 8,120 mini living temples see what I did with the math thanks so much Can you see what's happening? One is being multiplied exponentially and it's breaking out and it's spreading like wildfire. Like 
the temple, the meeting point of heaven and earth, God's dwelling place on the earth has shifted from a place to a people. Unbelievable what is taking place. Now, where do these people go once the Pentecost festival's over? They've gathered from all over the earth. Where do they go? They go back home. They go back home, but they carry the fire of God's presence with them. And when they get home, essentially what happens is their homes become the dwelling place of God and God's glory fills their home. One temple has become 8,120 people and therefore 8,120 homes that are filled with the presence and the glory of God. And this expansion continues and God's glory begins to fill the earth. This is what's taking place at Pentecost. It is phenomenal. It reminds me of a story that took place in the 10th century in Cairo um, or Cairo. Let me read this to you. In the 10th century, a ruler in Cairo issued a decree to close all churches of the Coptic Christian community in the land and to forbid the church bells to ring. The churches were closed, the gates grew rusty, and the pigeons took residence in the sanctuaries. Some of the faithful cops traveled across the desert seeking monasteries in the wilderness so that they could meet for prayer and worship. However, the majority of the cops could not afford the time or money to travel on foot across the desert. So they were forced to stay in their homes on Sundays. After nine years, the ruler decided to see for himself how the Coptic Christians were faring. In disguise, he set out on a Sunday and walked in the streets of their quarters in Old Cairo. Why do I keep saying that wrong? Crazy. Cairo. As he walked in the narrow streets, he heard the sound of their prayers, Bible readings and worship from every house that he passed. He reacted with another decree. He said, open their churches and let them pray as they please. I thought I'd close the church in every street only to find that I opened a church in every house. I mean, that is like the story of Pentecost, like the temple at the very center of Jerusalem that became redundant because there was a temple lit on every street, in every home, like the fire of God was spreading across the world. Unbelievable what took place. So I want to briefly look at then seven marks of a church on fire all from Acts chapter 2 from this Pentecost story I'm not just articulating the church that we want to become I believe we're in extraordinary times where the fire of God is falling this is the church we are becoming it's happening in real time you see signs of this stuff all around us so first mark is explosive joy the crowd are watching all of this take place and they come to the conclusion that this this group of people that they must be drunk it's nine in the morning they're acting so strangely so peter addresses the crowd and listen to what he says in verse 15 he says these people are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning Like this is a level of joy that Peter has to actually explain what's going on because this crowd are watching this group of 120 fire surrounds them. They're laughing hysterically. 
hysterically as I imagine it. Some of them are laughing so hard they begin to weep. They are tasting the freedom of God because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where there is freedom, there's a guarantee that there will be joy. So the crowd are like, who started a fire and why are they laughing? They must be drunk. They don't get it. You see, when the spirit is present, there is a joy. And sometimes that joy needs to be explained to the world. You know, it's possible for us to know joy even in the middle of a lockdown. You know, Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians at a time when he was in prison and he was writing to the church in Philippi experiencing heavy persecution. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul is basically saying the joy that we find as followers of Jesus isn't dependent on circumstances. You can be in prison and taste freedom and joy. You can be suffering persecution and taste freedom and joy. You can be in a lockdown and experience joy because joy comes from above where the spirit of the Lord is. There is joy. Here's the second marker unprecedented unity where the spirit is present people begin to unite and experience family listen to this acts chapter 2 verse 1 and 4 when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them so you've got this massive gathering of the jewish community from across the world in one place that was expected what was unexpected was this shared experience of being filled with the spirit and then this shared language that they begin to speak in so much so as the spirit of tongues is released everyone from their own you know nation begin to hear the gospel proclaimed in their own native tongue so what is this shared language yes it's the gift of tongues but it also says that they're declaring the wonders and praise of God this language is worship so people begin to unite and having a shared experience of the spirit of God and it breaks out in worship we're seeing this in the church right now the church uniting in worship this song the UK blessing almost three million hits on YouTube now and press picking up on this story wanting to make sense of what's taking place why is there such fascination with this song I think there's two reasons number one we live in a secular society that means most people buy into this belief that you can experience life fully without the blessing of God and suddenly people are questioning whether that's actually true they're beginning to hear this blessing being spoken over them and it's drawing them into a spiritual hunger and curiosity that's the first thing the second thing is they're seeing a demonstration of unity we went into lockdown talking about brexit there was division there was drive towards nationalism and bids for independence and and political tribes emerging so much kind of factions and yet what we see right now is the church demonstrating unity the kind of unity we long for so in this song you've got everything from graham kendrick to governor b you've got hill song to all souls lang and place you've got audacious church through to the salvation army everyone coming together to sing a blessing over the nation and suddenly the nation are listening and they're curious you see unity causes people to ask questions because because it, it's what they long for but it often isn't their experience it's a sign of the spirit and we're seeing it right now mark number three then is intentional discipleship. Listen to this from verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These spiritual disciplines that lead to life. And where are they taking place? They're taking place in the home. 
You see, in the Middle Ages, during the Reformation that swept through the continent of Europe, there were two significant shifts that took place. There was a power shift from the institution, the structures of the church into the hands of the people. People began to sort of talk about the priesthood of all believers. So that was the first shift. But the second shift was because of the discovery of the printing press, people could own a copy of the Bible in their own homes. You didn't need to go to the church to hear the scriptures being read. You could open the scriptures in your home. You didn't need to go to the priest to confess your sin. You could confess your sin to your friend in your home. The home became the central place of spiritual formation, just like it was in the book of Acts. They didn't have to go to the temple. They could break bread, open the scriptures and pray in their homes. And when your home becomes a sacred space, that is a game changer. It's happening right now in our midst. Maybe we in the church, in the West, maybe we're experiencing the beginnings of a second reformation. Lord, may it be so. Marker number four then, extreme generosity. Listen to this from verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, we're living in a time of financial uncertainty. It could lead to a financial crisis, a recession. So at a time when people become probably more tight-fisted, spending less and, and living with sort of like anxiety around finances in the church, we're seeing an open-handed approach and an incredible level of generosity is being released. Giving at KXC, it's up right now, which is just phenomenal. But we've also mentioned this KX Care Fund. 17,000 has been donated in the last few weeks to serve those that hit financial difficulties in our community. What we're seeing is a radical generosity being released. This is a work of the Spirit. They saw it at the first Pentecost. We're beginning to see it now. It's beautiful and long may it remain. Number five then, radical hospitality. It says in verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love this. The word hospitality the root word is a Latin word, hospes. It means stranger. Strangers become friends when there's radical hospitality. It's the word from which we get hospital. In other words, a place where strangers invited in and are nursed to health. This is what was taking place in the first century. Homes were becoming churches, places where the fire of God's presence could be experienced, but they were also becoming hospitals where the broken and the sick were invited in and experienced Jesus and experienced healing. It says they broke bread. That's a reference to the Eucharist. When people were invited in, they were feasting on Jesus. Now, we're not going to be gatherings, gathering for our Sunday services in our churches for quite some time. Churches might open for prayer in, in the near future, but in terms of larger gatherings, we're away off that. But I tell you what we're not away off is opening up our homes. Now, what if at a time of anxiety when a lot of people are going to be nervous about inviting people into their homes, what if the church actually demonstrated radical hospitality? And when we are allowed to open up our homes, what if rather than just inviting your mates for barbecues, the like attracts, like mindset. What if you actually invited your geographical neighbours, the ones that you've been getting to know in lockdown? What if we invited them in and they experienced the fire of God's presence in our homes? What if we began to break bread? They began to feast on Jesus in our homes. Like, I wonder if some of this wave of people coming to faith isn't just going to be through online alpha or experiencing our online services. Maybe they're going 
going to experience God in our homes because that's where the fire of God's presence resides. Here's marker number six then, explosive growth. So this is what it says in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we've mentioned 3,000 coming to faith at Pentecost, 5,000 as Peter heals the lame guy who'd been lame since birth, this explosive growth. And we're beginning to see a spiritual hunger in this nation that could lead to explosive growth. I've mentioned these stats before, but hey, I'll mention them again. Before lockdown, roughly 6% of the UK adult population attending church. But in lockdown, that's jumped to 24% um, have attended an on- online service. That's like fourfold growth. That's remarkable. Of the 18 to 34 demographic, which is perhaps the largest demographic represented at KXE, that stat is at 34%. There is such spiritual hunger. People are tuning in. Jesus said, seek and you will find. That's a promise. People are seeking right now. I believe they will find Jesus. And when they find Jesus, they're going to find life. Maybe we need to get ready for this scenario where the Lord is adding to our number daily those who are being saved. Lord, may it be so. Here's marker number seven, then undiluted power. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. These healings, these demonstrations of the kingdom, they're essentially demonstrations of the reality of heaven. Like what is God's home like? What is God's will? When you see healing break out, you get a little signpost. Oh, that's what heaven's going to be like. Oh, that must be the will of God. God desire his will for us is that we'd experience freedom and healing and deliverance and a greater measure of joy and a greater measure of freedom and when the kingdom breaks in through signs and wonders we begin to experience a greater measure of the reality of heaven this is what I'm praying for for us at KXE that we begin to see more of these demonstrations these manifestations of the reality of heaven in our midst yes Lord would you do it um, at this time. So these are the seven marks of a church set on fire. Explosive joy, unprecedented unity, intentional discipleship, extreme generosity, radical hospitality, explosive growth, undiluted power. But these are more than just seven signs of a church set on fire. These are seven signs of an individual set on fire with love for God. Um, This isn't a list of if you work really hard and if you behave really well, you might become more like this. No, this is a list of if you open yourself to the spirit of God, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit that came upon the disciples by fire at Pentecost, you will become like this because this is the work of the spirit in our lives and in our community. So we want to create space where we can open ourselves to God's spirit. So I want to encourage you perhaps to stand in your living room, bedroom, kitchen, wherever you might be. You might want to open out your hands in a posture of receiving. And we're going to do what the disciples did that first Pentecost. Jesus commanded them to wait in Jerusalem and they would be clothed with power from on high. They've got this huge mission that lies ahead of them. But Jesus says, I want you first to do nothing and just wait for the presence of God. We often say, don't just stand there, do something. Jesus says, don't do something, just stand there, which we find really awkward. 
But he says that because any activism that's in our own strength, it can't sustain God's purposes. But activism that's birthed in the Spirit of God, well then we're talking serious spiritual breakthroughs.